The week leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Some Christians call it Holy Week. But polls over the last couple of years are showing what we all know to be true. Fewer and fewer people are going to church. The numbers are worse in Canada. A Gallup poll sounded bleak. U.S. church membership falls below majority for first time. Here's the shift. Back at the turn of the century, 1999, 70% of Americans belonged to a house of worship. That percentage also included synagogues and mosques. Just over 20 years later, a drop of 20 points. 47% say they belong to a house of worship now. You can wring your hands. You can stay dismayed. But it's interesting that God's Word speaks of God's family as a remnant, not a majority. I grew up hearing the term Sunday Christian, meaning not all calling themselves Christian are truly born again. This week, with Easter coming, check on your heart and also your faith. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're continuing in a series called Resurrection Power. Easter is fast approaching. The day we celebrate the announcement of the angels in Luke 24. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Well, he is risen indeed. It's what Christ came for. Christmas makes no sense apart from Easter. And we don't have Easter without Christmas. But what about the in-between? That's what we're looking at this week. From the moment he entered the world, away in that manger, to the moment he left this earth on the clouds as he ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus was on a mission. It was a rescue mission. From Bethlehem to Jerusalem, Jesus was on a journey. The Gospels that we read are all about the middle. What did Jesus do? Where did he go? Who did he meet on his journey to Jerusalem to die? Our lives are lived on the way, and so is his. So join us on this journey today as Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem as he headed for the cross and then the resurrection. And we'll begin our journey today at the temple, a place he had been many times before, but this time was very different. But before we head to the temple, I want to remind you about the Easter music of Andrew Peterson. It was written what I would call the finest Easter album of our times, from the first moments of Christ's dead heart beating. I know he took one breath, death to, death. to the worshipful reminder that he is worthy of our praise. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and Resurrection Letters, Volume 1, is the Easter album you need to hear this year. The music is soul-stirring, as you just heard, and the deep lyrics tell the story of Christ's death and resurrection in an artistic, but also biblical way. So call us after the program. Make a gift to support our ministry, but make sure you ask for Andrew Peterson's Resurrection Letters 1. 
And by the way, the deluxe version we have includes the prologue with five extra songs about the actual crucifixion. Our number you can call in a few minutes is 800-654-2836. 800-65-HAVEN. Or visit our website and listen to samples from all of the songs on the CD and then make your gift at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. Now let's continue in our program with a song by Andrew Peterson called Risen Indeed. And so the winter dies with a blast of icy wind Like a mournful cry it's giving up the ghost again Another sheet of snow melts away to gold and green Look at Peter go, he's racing to the tomb to see Where has my Jesus gone? not dead, he is risen, risen indeed. And now the flowers bloom like a song of freedom, behold the earth is new if only for the season. And so the seed that died for you becomes the seedling, just put your hand into the wound that bought your healing. Peterson and his Risen Indeed opening this haven today. I'm Charles Morris. Later in the program, we're going to hear from Andrew and how Jesus showed up in his life in many special ways. But let's take a moment to look at Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Today, we begin in the temple. Ironically, 
Jesus visited Jerusalem a number of times before he was arrested and murdered. The first time was when his parents brought him to the temple after he was born. He went every year after that when his parents brought him to Jerusalem for the Passover. He knew the temple and the temple mount. And after his encounter with the scribes when he was 12, I'm sure the temple knew him. They were there for the Passover, celebrating when the Lord saved Israel out of Egypt with his strong and outstretched hand. Jesus was supposed to be with his parents heading back to Nazareth, but he stayed in the temple there in Jerusalem. For three days it happened. And what was he doing? Studying the Hebrew Bible with the best of the best? The crowds were amazed at his understanding. If only we could have been a fly on the wall back then. Jesus' journey to Jerusalem began at the temple, but it wasn't always so positive. John 2 gives us the first account of Jesus' confrontation in the temple. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us the story at the end of their Gospels. Now, this has caused many to ask, is there an error here in Scripture? Did John not tell the truth by putting this story at the beginning instead of the end? Or is John's the only true one because he dared to break from the other three? Well, these are important questions. But like my friend Daryl Johnson would say, we're missing one question. Why not both? Instead of worrying that someone got it wrong, it's better to say they all got it absolutely right. Jesus' confrontation in the temple comes right after his first miracle. Water into wine. It wasn't just a party trick or a nice gesture to keep the party going. How do I know? Well, John tells us that when his disciples saw what he did, they believed in him. What Jesus did at that wedding was to fulfill Scripture. Isaiah 25 tells of a time when the Messiah would arrive and what would happen with the sign of his arrival. A banquet, a feast of well-aged wine. That's what happened. And Jesus went from there on a journey to Jerusalem. But when he got there, what he found was a disaster. Let's read this story of Christ in the temple from John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. John chapter 2. It was almost the Passover, and Jesus had walked to Jerusalem to celebrate. But when he was there in that temple, he was appalled. 
Why? It isn't just because they were selling animals. People were coming to Jerusalem from all over the world, some traveling for days or even weeks to get there. Many of them didn't have a way to bring sacrificial animals with them. So it seemed to make sense that the Jewish leaders would make them available for their brothers and sisters when they arrived. But Jesus was angry because of where this was happening. In the temple, not just anywhere. It was the outermost court, the court of the Gentiles. The temple that Herod built wasn't exactly like the temple of Solomon. Solomon's temple had divisions for where the high priests could go. Herod's tried to divide men from women and Jew from Gentile. Gentile converts to Judaism were not allowed to go very far into this temple. In fact, archaeologists have found the doorway between the outer court, which was called the Court of the Gentiles and the Court for Jewish Believers. On that doorway, there is a sign, and it warns any Gentile from taking another step inside, or else they risk being struck down by the Lord. This was segregation, forcing Gentile believers to worship on the outskirts of the temple, not letting them get too close. And that's why Jesus was angry. The religious leaders had taken over the outer court and turned it into a virtual shopping center, a mall, so to speak. The only place Gentile believers could worship was overrun with animals and, yes, salesmen. Jesus will not allow us to bar other believers from worship. What he did in the temple, flipping the tables and removing everyone, He did in response to sin. It's a reminder for us that Jesus takes sin seriously, especially sin that stops others from entering into the presence of God in worship. He won't let us exclude others. It's why his disciples were reminded of Psalm 69.9, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was full of zeal, a passion for the Lord's temple. But there in the temple, Jesus said something else, something that tells us where his journey to Jerusalem would eventually end. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He didn't just come to be filled with the zeal of the Lord. He came to be consumed by the zeal of the Lord. Jesus came to be destroyed. And that's what John tells us. He wasn't talking about the brick and mortar building he was standing by. He was talking about his flesh and blood, his own body, and he was telling us that he is the temple now. For thousands of years, the Lord's people went to the temple to meet with him. But Jesus' words here in John 2 tell us that the temple has come to us. He is the place where we meet the Lord face to face, and he has come. His journey to Jerusalem ends in his death and resurrection, but he leads us even further. He's bringing us to the new Jerusalem, our heavenly home. Our communities are meant to reflect his heart, a concern for everyone in our midst, a desire to see all people worship the king, and a commitment not to exclude anyone. When Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples remembered that scene, and they believed him all the more. He is good, and he is truly our temple. Let's continue to draw near to him by faith, even as we look forward to his return, to the final resurrection and the arrival 
of the New Jerusalem. I made my way to the western wall As the sun went down I could hear them call for you And the words I heard in the ancient song Were the same as the ones I've sung so long to you And when I touched the wall The veil had never felt so thin the cornerstone, you are the temple of flesh and bone, and you are the door and the way back home again, to that city that we long for, that we feel so far away, where the dawn will drive away our tears, and we'll meet in the new Jerusalem someday, maybe next year, na na na. The prophet spoke from another age And the song rose up from the sacred page to you And I never felt so near I never felt so far away But you tore the curtain and shook the ground The saints woke up and they walked around And resurrection came to town that day Like in that city That we long for, that we feel so far away Where the dawn will drive away our tears And we'll meet in the new Jerusalem someday Maybe next year, na-na-na the boy and he killed the ram instead and this is the place where Jesus said you could tear down the temple and he'd raise it from the dead you never felt so real I never felt so close to you so I'll weep and dance at the western wall sing of the way you're making all Here in the New Jerusalem
song yearning for the return of our Lord, to see him face to face, to have all our tears and sins taken away, maybe next year, from Andrew Peterson's Resurrection Letters, Volume 1. And I'm Charles Morris, and this is Haven Today at a program called Resurrection Power. Earlier, I mentioned we would catch up with Andrew Peterson again. And not too long ago, I caught up with him on a Zoom call in Nashville. And I asked him about his journey with Jesus and how Christ showed up in his life. We don't really have enough time for me to tell you all the times that I felt like I was on a path and suddenly I ran into the person of Christ. And mm. I think that's the that's the the way I think of it, because having grown up a, pre- a preacher's kid in the church, VBS, Sunday school, all that stuff in the South, you know, so it was like this really uh, churchy culture uh, that I was a part of. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I, I don't think I knew Jesus mm-hmm. growing up. I think I would have told you I was a Christian, and maybe I was, but I don't think I really had encountered the person. Mm. And um, and even now, like, you know, I, I hear a lot of conversations about the ideas of Christianity, you know, the concepts of Christianity, right. and theological propositions, and, you know, um, like acquiescing to a way of thinking about Jesus. Uh, and it's easy to lose the fact that, that he's even now got flesh and blood <laughs> mm. and, and is, is mm-hmm. incarnate, um, the son of God. And that th- there is this actual person swirling at the heart of it all. And, uh, and for me, that was what did it. And it was the music of Rich Mullins that, that, uh, was, that was the doorway through which, um, Jesus kind of came and stood in my path. I was 18 or 19 years old in a rock band, long hair, about as directionless as I could possibly be when I first heard the Rich Mullins song, If I Stand. Mm. And um, I had to learn it so somebody could sing it in church. And by the time I had finished learning that song, I knew he was real. And more importantly, I knew that he loved me. And uh, I, I don't think, I don't think I understood how much he loved me until, until I encountered him through that music. And once I, once I began to understand you know, the way Rich put it, the reckless raging fury that we call the love of God. When I began to realize there was this like incredible, um, uh, uh, unexplainable love that he has Mm. for us, Mm. uh, Mm. that that I really had a story to tell. Mm. And it wasn't long after that, that I asked him, can I sing about you for the rest of my life? Mm. um, Can Mm. I write about you? Because, because if I grew up in the church in a, you know, more or less functional home, and I still missed the good news of the gospel. Yes. How many yes. more people must there be out there who just haven't realized how wonderful he is, you know? And so that's kind of what I've spent, spent my life doing. Well, I'm so thankful the Lord called my brother Andrew Peterson to write music about Jesus. And I really want you to have his latest album. In many ways, it's like listening to a concept album that tells the story of Jesus from the cross to the first moments of Christ's resurrection as his once dead heart begins to beat again. And it concludes with two mighty songs of worship reminding us that Jesus is worthy of all our praise and that he is seated at the right hand of his Father, holding all things together.
made peace by the blood of his cross. He made I want peace. you to have the special deluxe version of Resurrection Letters 1 that includes five extra songs from his prologue EP. Our number to call right now and make your gift is 800 654 2836. 800 65 Haven. Contact us today or visit our website and listen to samples from all of the songs on the CD and then make your gift at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And if you'd like to hear more from Andrew Peterson, we have a full-length interview with him talking about his music and his faith and how the resurrection affects his daily life. It was a delightful conversation, and you can hear it all on our new podcast called Great Stories with Charles Morris. You can find it on your favorite podcast player, or you can also find it there on our website, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again we get to share the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. For your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Much had happened since Egypt. The Israelites had seen scores of miracles, affirmations of God's presence, and now a group of spies going in to check out the Promised Land, but only two returned with faith that by God's help they could overcome. The rest were afraid. And in the end, God did not allow that generation to enter, but his presence did not depart from them either. Moses responds to God's gracious judgment saying, The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. And ultimately, we see that heart of God on display at the cross where every kind of sin and rebellion was dealt with for good. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.